You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy, tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Robbie Samuels hosts the On the Schmooze podcast. Robbie, tell listeners what to expect from the show. Since 2015, I've interviewed entrepreneurs who overcame challenges to achieve success in their field or industry. Tune in to On the Schmooze to listen as I ask deep questions to elicit untold stories about leadership and networking. And where can people subscribe? Find the show at ontheschmooze.com or on marketingpodcast.net or just search for it wherever you get your podcasts. You heard them. Go subscribe. Hello and welcome to Uncorking a Story. I'm your host, Mike Carlin, and today's guest is Heather Frimmer. Heather is a radiologist specializing in breast and emergency room imaging. Her first novel, Bedside Manners, was published in 2018 and has received several awards, including National Indie Excellence, Reader's Favorite, and Independent Press Awards. She completed her medical training at Weill Cornell Medical College in New York, uh, New York Presbyterian Cornell and Yale New Haven Hospital, where I've been to many times, and we can talk about that later. Um, she lives in, with her husband and two children in suburban Connecticut. Her novel, her second novel, Better to Trust, releases September twenty uh, first, twenty twenty one. That is tomorrow. Wow, that's a big day for you, Heather. Yes. Uh, so, welcome to the program, Heather. How are you doing today? Thank you so much for having me. I'm doing great. Well, you know, I always like to say that this uh, is about. Uh, Uncorking the stories behind the story. So I'm curious, Heather, where does where does your story begin? Where does your personal story begin? Mm -hmm. So I finished radiology residency in 2005, and I started working as a radiologist. I love the job. I find it interesting and exciting and fulfilling. And I worked um, for over 10 years. And at that point, I started feeling a little bit of a, a void, like a lack of a creative outlet in my job. And as much as I love it, and I really still enjoy it, I felt like I needed something more creative to, to add to my life. Um, so I decided to take a writing workshop class, a, an introductory writing class at Westport Writers Workshop, um, which is you know close to my home. And um, it was totally on a whim. I, I didn't expect anything to come of it. Um, but at the end of the class, my instructor, who I'd really formed a bond with, said to me, you know, I think you have a novel in you. I really think you could do that. And I, and I looked at her and I said, you're insane. There's <laughs> no way. I have two kids. I have a full-time job. You know, I kept listing other things. And she said, no, I really think you could do it. And I, I came home and I thought about it. I talked to my husband. I thought about it some more. And I decided that if other people could write a novel, why couldn't I write a novel? Um, and also, I'm very type A. So if someone <laughs> says I can, I can do something, I'm not usually one to say no. <laughs> there you go. Well... Did you have a sense, um, you know, in, in, in your past? I mean, can you look like to, to, to part of your childhood and say, you know what, it actually makes sense that, that I'm interested in writing because, because of, well, whatever. But um, 
When you were yeah. a kid, did you have a sense that you, you had that kind of creativity in you? Well, I've always been a bookworm. I mean, since I was very little, I read early and then I read a lot all the time. Um, I always had a book and um, I just love stories. And then I did start writing short stories more toward like high school. I started writing short stories, but I never did anything with them. It was sort of just for fun. And then in college, I actually minored in English. Um, so I've always loved reading and writing. And, you know, when I went the medical route, that that sort of fell by the wayside for a little bit because medical training is so intense and, you know, time intensive. Um, but then I think I kind of came full, full, cir- full circle and came back to it eventually. You know, it's interesting. I, I've probably done about 90 of these interviews um, with authors. And one of the, you know, sort of the, the connective tissue that, 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 that kind of, you know, connects them together is being a bookworm and like mm-hmm. just having a natural interest in reading. Yeah. It's almost like the prerequisite for, you know, for, for being an author or being a successful author is having a, it's just an interest in, in what it is you are actually creating itself. Yeah. I don't think you could, I, I agree with you. I don't think you could be an author and put in all the time to make a book if you don't really believe in books, you know? Yeah. It's also like learning the craft also because yeah. like, and then once you start, I mean, I noticed this in my own reading, but once you start writing, you start, you know, almost like reading books a little bit differently. Like, oh, yeah. this is interesting how how they're setting something up, for example, and or how they, you know, how they might um, sort of, you know, play out a a, a big plot twist or, or something like that. I find myself, you know, like trying to learn not just about the story, but actually about sort of the, the author's approach to, to telling the story. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I, sometimes I try to turn that part of my brain off so that I can enjoy the book. Because if I get too into the how did they do this? How did they phrase this? How did they structure it? It sometimes it makes the reading experience not as not as much fun. <laughs> That's true. Right? It, it almost goes against like what you're if you're trying to relax, you know, yeah. and, and entertain right. yourself. Once you start diagnosing kind of what's going on, it it, it feels a little bit more like work, doesn't it? Yeah, agreed. <laughs> so I'm curious, I mean, as somebody who, who was, you know, had, had been writing short stories, uh, sort of like in, in high school and then majored in English, what drew you into the medical profession? Mm-hmm. Um, I think partially it was my parents and my upbringing and you know, they, it was like, you need to do, you need to be a professional. You need to do one of these careers, X, Y, or Z. And partially it was that I knew that it was a prescribed path that if I took one step, I knew what this next step was. I was good at taking tests and all of those things. So I knew that if I, you know, if I did well in college, I'd get into medical school and, you know, then the next step and the next step. And I, 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 I didn't feel, uh, I needed a career path like that. That was more sort of, I knew how to get there. Um, and then when I got there and I do, I do, as I said, I do like it and I still enjoy it. I felt like I needed something else to round out my life. Yeah. Yeah. What did, what did you learn about yourself in, in medical school and then in, in your practice as a doctor that, that might inform your, your writing and storytelling? Mm -hmm. Well, I think that the world of medicine is just has so many stories and, and as a physician, I'm, I'm allowed a, a peek inside people's lives that, that most others don't, don't get. Um, and so I see, um, the heartbreak and the, and the, and the sadness and the, and the challenges and, and everything, it, um, that, that other people aren't allowed, um, to a window into. Um, so I think that 
I think I naturally gravitated to writing about medicine because there's so many stories there. And also because medicine is so opaque to a lot of people. Um, it's, it's a mystery. And um, there's a hunger to know more about it, um, as witnessed by all, you know, all these medical shows that people enjoy. And so I kind of knew that I could bring my knowledge of medicine to the world of, of reading. Yeah, I remember... Yeah, I remember growing up uh, reading, um, my, my grandfather was a doctor, and um, he, in his library at, at home, had just a bunch of books by Robin Cook, mm. and I started reading them, like, when I was in high school, I'm like, oh my god, these books are amazing, like, I just loved, like, the idea of the medical thriller, uh-huh. um, and then I, um, I was able to interview a couple of years ago on this program, Tess Gerritsen. Mm-hmm. who, um, you know, another sort of, uh, like yourself, sort of, you know, doctor turned author who had great success with um, her standalone, standalone novels, but also the, the whole Rizzoli and Isle series. Um, and you're right. I mean, there are so many stories coming, coming out of medicine. And specifically, I'm, I'm wondering, you know, from you as a, as a sort of a, a radiologist and, and you know, specializing in what you specialize in, I mean, I'm sure you have to deliver some life-changing news to people, Um on, on a somewhat regular basis. And, and I'm curious about how, you know, if, if that was a way of, of, for you of tapping into some empathy that you could bring into writing or, or sort of have, just have that experience of, of breaking, you know, again, life-changing news to, mm-hmm. to people um, impacts you as a, as an author. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I think that that definitely did play into my writing for sure. And, and, and just um, being with people at that moment of, of crisis and shock and you know any number of emotions um, could play in at a moment when they're to- when someone is told that they have cancer um, and I and in my first my first book really centers a lot on that on that and and I drew from all of the all of the um, experiences I've had sitting with patients during that time and and use that to inform my first book bedside manners which is which really centers on the breast cancer diagnosis and that's what I do every day. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, I want to talk about bedside manners um, because, uh, uh, you know, just, just kind of having read the background of it, um, I, I'm curious. I was curious to know, like, how how your sort of role as a, as a radiologist, you know, impacted that book. But it sounds like you, you, you were at the Westport um, Writers Workshop, which is a tremendous resource for anybody living in in or around Fairfield County. They they are fantastic. I've I've been to a few events up there. Um, but so what was the the sort of how did you how did you start that book? I mean, did you start that book after your time at the you know mm-hmm. taking that class and mm-hmm. and and what was your approach to writing it and then getting it published? Mm-hmm. But I just want to echo what you said about the Westport Writers Workshop because I would never have made it through two novels without that wonderful resource. Um, so actually after that first class that I took, uh, my, my instructor, you know, gave me the challenge to, to write a novel and I accepted. And then I joined a a manuscript class, um, which was like, you're writing a big project and you're really going to bring in pages every single week and take feedback and make it better and bring them back. And, and so I, I started, um, one of those classes and, and it had like four or five or six people in it. And then I continued in that same class for years. Um, I finished the first, my first book, I started it in 2014 and I finished it in 2017. It was published 
in 2018. So I, um, I, I really depended on that class to help me get it done because um, with a full-time job and, you know, all the things that I have going on and, you know, just finding it hard to get the words on the page, knowing that I could, that I had to bring in, in pages, get, made me sit in the chair and actually write. <laughs> yeah, it's that, that being accountable to other people almost. Yes. I mean, you have to be accountable to yourself, but when you're bringing it and sharing and... Yes. Um, doing that, 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 that kind of lights a fire under you, um, a little bit. And as you're, as, as you were going through that process and you were getting feedback on your, on your work and, and presumably giving feedback to other people as well, what, um, what was that like? I mean, in terms of, uh, sort of, sort of understanding criticism or taking criticism, um, what, yeah. was that hard? Uh, was it hard at first or what was it like? It was hard at first, and especially in these the manuscript classes really are you know very intense about making the book better and about like restructuring and and you know um, and and even though people are usually very nice, there's a lot of a lot of constructive feedback. Um, and for me, as someone who's always you know done well in the academic realm, you know. It, Sometimes coming in and I'm like, oh, I got these great pages. And then I would hear all of these things like, well, the dialogue doesn't really work or I'm not sure this character would really do that that way or whatever it might be um, was really hard at first. Um, and now I've kind of grown a thicker skin and I'm, I'm more used to it. And I know that it's going to make my book better. Um, and so I, I go in knowing that I'm going to get lots of feedback and that's the way it is. And, and I'm going to take it and I'm going to revise and I'm going to revise again. And eventually I'll have a better book. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I and this, you know, might I, I don't mean I don't mean this to sound sort of insensitive, but I, I, I like to think of, you know, writing a book, publishing a book is almost like childbirth because you know you've got to you've got to nurture it, you know, you've got to take care of it, um, you've got to deal with some some negative things at times, right. but there's pain involved in it as well, and some of that pain is, um, I mean, you know, people tell me, you know you don't remember the pain. My wife remembers the pain. Um, but <laughs> we had triplets. So she definitely oh remembers the pain. But, um, but, uh, although actually the anesthesiologist might, might counter her, her remembering of the pain because she was, I guess, pretty knocked out, but, um, I was there. She was knocked out. Uh, but, but really it's, it's learning, it's learning, learning to take the criticism I think is, is very hard for people, especially, you know, like, like you mentioned, um, sort of always, having done well academically and, you know, you, you could come into it by saying something like, Oh God, how dare you not understand this dialogue or how dare you not understand the intention I had when I was writing this. And that's, that's right. the thing. It's like, well, we don't always know what the intention an author, an author has is, but. Right. And you uh, can have whatever intention you want, but if it doesn't come across on the page, then it's not working. Right. And, and there's really no way to know that until you pass it by somebody else and specifically somebody who, you know, has no stake in the game of, of your success, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so Bedside Manners uh, came out in 2018 and it, it won some awards. So, so tell me what that was like and, and how that felt. Um, it, it was great. I mean, it was, I, I, I was very proud to release my debut novel and then to have other people read it and think that it had, it had something to say and that it was meaningful was, was, was really wonderful. Um, but the, the best part, I think of releasing Bedside Manners was when the breast cancer survivors would come up to me and say that they read the book and that 
they really appreciated seeing their story on the page and that it resonated and that it, it felt true to life and that I captured the emotional experience. Um, because for me, that was that's like the highest praise. I, I, I haven't had breast cancer. I have no one in my family or close to me has had breast cancer, but I have obviously seen it a lot uh, up close and personal in my day job. And to know that I, I, I really was able to somehow translate the experience into the story really meant a lot. Yeah. So hearing, hearing from those survivors that, mm -hmm. you know, they, they, they felt like you did something that moved them. Right. Um, yeah. and that, and that felt true. Um, so and when better than you, any award, <laughs> better than any award. Well, right. there you go. That's, right. that's, uh, yeah, that, that, um, I can imagine that, that to be true. Um, so let's talk about better to trust and, and sort of, um, tell me a little bit about what this book is about. And I know mm -hmm. it is being released tomorrow. Yes. Um, tell me about this story and how it came to you. So um, I, after I finished Bedside Manners or after I decided to publish it and I wanted to write something new, I kind of was looking around for stories everywhere, um, just keeping my ears open. And a, an acquaintance of mine happened to tell me that, uh, that her brother was going to perform a minor operation on her husband. And it was like a very minor, like orthopedic thing, not not a big deal. And everything went absolutely fine. No big, it was not a big deal at all. But it just got my my gears turning. I just started thinking like, okay, that's a little unusual. And I'm not sure about that. And then what if it wasn't a minor orthopedic operation, but it was a major operation? And the most major operation I could think of was brain, a brain surgery. And what could be better, what could be higher stakes than, than brain surgery? And then what if that brain surgery didn't go so well and there were some complications or um, secrets or something else that, that, that caused it to, to not really be successful? And that's how I got the idea for Better to Trust. Um, it's about a neurosurgeon who's struggling with a prescription pill addiction, who makes the decision to operate on his sister-in-law's brain. And then it follows the neurosurgeon and his sister-in-law, uh, both before and after the surgery, to see you know, how, how the family deals with this decision and the emotional and physical fallout. Wow. I mean, I love the fact that this came from like a real-life situation. Yeah. You know, and I think so for, for, for many of us, um, who, who write and, and, you know, either write for a living or, or write as, you know, part of our, you know, part of our portfolio of activities we do to earn income, um, which I certainly fall under that category. But, uh, the fact that you could just be going about, and this is what I love about writing, the fact that you'd be, could be going about your day and just listening to just, just being aware of things around you, listening to, to stories and then having that spark, that moment that, you know, just turns that into something else. And, and, you, and you play that what if. Well, what if, you know, what if this were a little bit bigger? What if this were different? And then you explore it. And I, you know, we were talking before about, you know, how, how it's important for authors to, to read. Um, I think it's also very important for authors to be curious. Um, it's like you need to have that curiosity gene if there is such a thing. Um, yeah. wh what's your take on the importance of curiosity when it comes to, to writing? Yeah, I think so. I think I think an author needs to be curious and and 
as you said, need to keep their ears open and listen to conversations. I love listening to conversations, <laughs> especially like I used to write at the Barnes and Noble cafe. That was like my favorite place to write since it's closed, unfortunately, but I would sit there and write and I would listen to the conversation at the next table and, and wonder what the, what the relationship was between these people or what were they arguing about? And, and then, then the, what if starts going again? Well, what if they were sisters or what if they were, you know, and, and then it helped me create scenes and, and dialogue and, um, so yeah, I think, yes, the authors need to be able to, to say what if, and then go with it. Yeah. Do you, um, do you write from an outline by any chance? I wish. <laughs> you wish. <laughs> I tried. So I kind of do like a, I kind of do like a cross between plotting and pantsing. So I'm, I'm not completely like free for all, but I definitely don't write a whole outline. Yeah. Um, so what I do is I come up with a story and I start writing it. And at that point, I don't know re really where it's going. I just need to get to know the characters. And then once I get to know the characters a little bit and I have some sense of, of the trajectory they're on, then I outline usually like three or four or five chapters in advance of where I am. And I may at that point know where it's eventually going to end up, but I haven't outlined the whole thing. I think I feel like it, it like cages me in a little bit too much. Like I just need the characters to have a little bit more freedom. Yeah. Yeah, I know there's different perspectives on that. Um, yes, I wish I could I, just outline the whole book and then write it. It would be so much easier. But I, I just, I've tried and it just doesn't feel right to me. You know, honestly, mo most of the authors I talk to who, who you know, you know, really are proponents of writing from outlines will always add to it that, you know, they, while they do it, they don't really view it as handcuffs, you know, that mm -hmm. they, they'll, they'll do it. And then they realize if the story takes a change and, and that, that happens as you, kind of learn your characters more and, and as your own creativity um, mm -hmm. kind of comes into play, it's, it's okay to allow for those unforeseen left or right turns. But uh, I'm always curious about, you know, people who have uh, the ability to outline something you know, before, before yeah. they start writing. I certainly try to, it doesn't always, uh, it doesn't always work, but um, uh, so, you know, so you are an avid, an avid reader. I'm curious, what are, what are the stories or, or the themes that really stick with you most or that you find yourself kind of gravitating towards? Mm. Um, so one thing that I definitely gravitate towards, and I don't think I'm ever going to, um, change is that I like to write my stories from multiple points of view. I love reading those stories too. And I think the reason is, is because it just gives me a more well-rounded view of the situation and the whole story. Like I, if I just told the story from one point of view, to me, that would be dull and it would be one-sided. And I like seeing a more like 360 view with multiple different um, angles on what's happened. Um, so like, that's what I did in Better to Trust. I have this, the neurosurgeon and then I have um, the patient and then I also have the neurosurgeon's teenage daughter. And each of them has a voice and each of them has a different view of the situation, of the same situation. Um, so yeah. I've just recently read several books that, that are like that. And, and I keep going back to books like that. Like I just read uh, We Were the Brennans by Tracy Lang, which is a wonderful debut um, story. And it also novel. And it also is a family story, a dysfunctional family story, which I, I, I can't say no to those either, <laughs> which is perhaps why I write about families as well. <laughs> I keep coming back to families and multiple points of view. Yeah. And uh, Jonathan Tropper, um, I, I haven't read him in a while, but he did a great job with uh, sort of dysfunctional family stories. Yeah. Um, and it just, just so beautifully, beautifully written. Um, so I'm curious if, if you were to wind up on a desert Island, 
And um, I'm not going to limit the number of books that you could take with you, but I'm going to limit the the authors that you could take uh, with you, right? The, the author's books. Who are, you know, who are three or so authors? You, you'd want to make sure that you definitely had in your backpack or in your suitcase or, you know, in your trunk, <laughs> depending on how many books you're bringing. Okay. Uh, who do you want to make sure that you have with you? Okay. So there's some, a couple authors that I just are my must reads for like decades at this point. Um, so Chris Bojalian is one of them. I'll read anything he writes, um, absolutely anything. And I love that he writes different genres. Like he writes thriller, he writes historical. Um, and uh, I, I really am almost never disappointed with his books. So that's one. And then um, Jodi Picot, I'm always going to pick up her books. I love how she just like get like really gets into the emotion of a situation and and um, draws draws the reader in from the first page. And then other more recent um, novelists that I always am going to pick up their books, one of them is Kimri Martin. She's a doctor author as well. She's an ER doctor. Um, her third book is coming out in November. It's called Doctors and Friends. And so I'm always going to pick up her books. She's been very good to me as uh, a mentor, really, kind of guiding me because her book came out, I think, very maybe the year before or the same year actually as my as my first book but earlier in the year so I've kind of been following in her footsteps a little bit and, and she's been mentoring me along the way so those are the ones that that definitely come to mind yeah good good choices so you're, you'll have some you'll have some uh good entertainment on that desert island yes <laughs> <laughs> I would whenever I ask that question I my mind always goes to like Gilligan's Island for some reason <laughs> I, mean, I, I know I'm showing my age when I say things like that but um what what about like stories that you feel like you you still have left to tell? I mean, you're you're you know, two books into your your writing career. Actually, yeah. but before I ask that, like, I mean, do do you anticipate a time? Um, and feel free to say no comment. But uh, when <laughs> when you know you'll your writing will sort of surpass your the time you spend writing will surpass the time you spend in, in medical practice. Well. Um... If you if you have a connection with Oprah, then maybe. But otherwise, <laughs> I don't. I, I actually I do have a connection with Oprah. So my oh, good yeah. friend, my good friend Debbie Benevitz, uh, who who worked I worked with at Unilever for many years. She now works for she runs like global research for uh, Weight Watchers or WW oh. as they call it now. And she and Oprah are apparently very close. So I'll see what I I'll see what I can do. <laughs> Yeah, at this point, you know, um, my husband is a public school teacher, and so I really pay the mortgage and all of those things, you know, pay for college. So that means I'm going to be continuing in my day job, which is great. Um, and then, you know, who knows, maybe down the road, I'll, I'll change the balance a little bit, um, you know, maybe work fewer days in radiology, more days in writing. Um, but right now, I'm sticking with the way it is and seeing how, how, how it all pans out. Yeah, you know, I, I find it interesting, and uh, you just having interviewed so many authors, you know, everyone, you know, from, from very big names to, to, you know, from, you know, to independently published people to people who are sort of still straddling the day job writing thing. And, and it, past couple of people I've interviewed, uh, I interviewed a guy named David Yoon, whose oh, yeah. uh, book version zero just came out. Uh, this past summer, and he was talking because his wife is also yeah an author I love her and too, yeah yeah and he was just telling me about um you know the moment when she felt comfortable I guess she worked in finance if my memory serves but uh when she felt comfortable sort of quitting her job um and and writing full time and then he did sort of the same thing and uh, obviously there's a lot of risk associated with that but um 
you know, I think I'm, I'm kind of like you. It's like, it's I, we're single income household here. Uh, I have three kids in college and, um, you know, I don't see, I don't see myself hanging up my, uh, sort of marketing consultancy any, anytime soon to, <laughs> to, yeah. to write. I, I would love to, but, um, you know, it's just, it's one of those practical, one of those practical. But the things. funny thing is also, I'm not sure I'd be successful doing it, you know, doing writing full time because for me, some of the, some of the way I get things done is just by being busy. Like if I know I only have one or two hours to write, then I'll crank out some words in those one or two hours. But if I have a full day, I'm not sure if it would work that well. <laughs> interesting. Yeah, that's that's interesting. So it's almost like, uh, you know, you, you can be as productive as you are because you have to be, yes. you know, yes. versus if you have too much white space or free time, yes. then, you know. I actually have a physician things. author friend. Um, she had a, a very successful book and she left her practice and she to write full time and she really did have that the problem I'm I'm worried about. She sat there and looked at the blank screen for the full day. <laughs> oh wow, that's that's interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Um well as we kind of wrap up here, I'm I'm curious about advice you would give your younger self. So if you could write a letter to your younger self, you know, to that to that younger person. And it, you, you could pick the age. I'm thinking <laughs> Um, you know, you mentioned you felt at one point that you had to have, you know, y- your parents put a little bit of pressure on you and that you had to make a, a decision. Um, but, you know, if you could write to yourself at any age some advice, um, you know, knowing what you know now, what would you tell, you know, the, the younger Heather? Mm-hmm. Um, I would, I would, my main thing I would say to myself is don't be afraid of imposter syndrome. Um, you're not an imposter. You're a writer if you write words onto the page. And um, I think that a lot of times I feel or have felt like I'm not really an author or like my first book was published by a hybrid press, so I'm not really a writer yet. And my second book is published by an indie press, so that's not really, I'm not really there yet. Well, I'm there. I wrote two books and I'm writing more books and, you know, I have to stop putting myself down. You know, I think that's a, that's very important for a lot of independent authors to hear because um, there is, and I think the stigma was probably worse 10 or 15 years ago than, than maybe it is now. Yeah. Um, but if you're writing, you know, something that you're proud of and regardless of how it gets out there and other people are reacting to it and showing their appreciation for what you've done, then, you know, you're, you know, you're not an imposter. You're, you're doing it. Right. I'm the real um, deal. <laughs> you're the real deal. You're the real deal. Well, speaking of the real deal, tell us um, about uh, when, so this book is coming out tomorrow. Yeah. Um, I do a little, do a little uh, sales pitch. Where can people pick it up uh, starting tomorrow? <laughs> so starting tomorrow, you can purchase the book anywhere books are sold, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, et cetera, indie, indie bookshops. Um, there's going to be a launch party at the Westport library tomorrow, Tuesday, 21st at 7 p.m. Um, so people are welcome to join virtually or in person as well. Very good. The Westport Library. I used to work in Westport and I used to go there on my lunch breaks every now and then. <laughs> it's beautiful. That's... It's been redone the past couple of years. Yeah, I've heard that. Yeah, um, I haven't I haven't been up there in a while. Um, you know, I haven't I haven't really left Stanford that much. And I, I, I live in Stanford, um, right. but I haven't really left Stanford in a while since uh, since COVID. Although I tell you what. Last night, I did take a big chance, um, and as a physician, you might slap my hand, but 
a friend of mine invited me to uh, a little rock and roll show in New York City last night. Um, so I went to Irving Plaza and saw Tesla. Oh, wow. Uh, not the car, but the <laughs> 80s hairband. And uh, fortunately, I wore earplugs um, because we were like right next to a speaker and I would have been deaf and I wouldn't have been able to hear a word you said this morning. Heather. <laughs> but um, I did leave Connecticut yesterday to go to New York City. It must um, have felt strange. <laughs> I, I was not comfortable. I'll be yeah. honest with you. It was we were all packed into this like club. And, uh, you know, in addition to my earplugs, I had my mask on because right. I, I was like, uh, and nobody else did. So I don't know what I am just, you know, saying a prayer that, uh, you know, nothing bad happened. But um, they were checking vaccination cards at the at the door. So um, that's good. <laughs> you know, fingers, fingers crossed on that one. Exactly. Silly, silly me. But uh, Heather, thank you so much for taking the time to join me here on Uncorking a Story. I wish you all the best with uh, with the launch of uh, Better to Trust and your launch party tomorrow. Thank you so much for having me.